round out uh, the end of Philippians. And Paul, if you'll remember, is writing a church that's involved in, in conflict. All right, and we're going to look at specifically what's going on today in this church. But you've got these two people that are locked in combat like those two deers. Now, if those, if those deers, deer, can't work it out, so our uh, grammatical people, it's deer, the plural of deer is deer, not deers. <laughs> if they don't get loose, they're in trouble. And the same is true within church. If you have a conflict that happens within the church, if we can't figure out how to disentangle or get out of that argument, it's, it's catastrophic. It's horrible. And so Paul, he's in prison, and he is writing the church in Philippi because they are entangled in this combat between different parties that are within the church. He's concerned that if we don't get this disentangled, if, we don't, if we're not able to break this conflict, stop this conflict, it's going to be catastrophic to the church. And so today, we're going to look at this, this idea of what happens if we don't get disentangled, and how do we do that? How do we get disentangled from conflict within the church? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us each and every day. Lord, we thank you... Um, that we have Jesus. We thank you that we have the Holy Spirit. We have your word to guide us. Lord, we pray that, um, that we will understand today's text, that we'll be able to take it to our, apply it to our lives. Lord, your word says that all scripture is breathed by God. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and training in righteousness. So, Lord, we want to take these things that we hear today, we want to apply them to our lives so that we may be equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was writing the, the kind of the opening part there, I, I wrote this. If they don't, the idea of separating antlers, if they don't, it will splinter and damage will be done. And I had originally irreparable damage will be done, right? So if churches get into conflict and they don't figure out how to get out, there will be irreparable damage, irrepayable, can't fix it damage that's done. And I went back and I changed that because I don't think that's true. If churches, there is no irreparable damage done to the church that Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy can't fix. Like there's no, there's no damage too far gone within a church to where God can't fix it, to where if we give it to him, he'll take care of it. And so that's what we're going to look at today. This idea of there's two believers who are arguing, uh, what do we do? Look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 2. He's saying to agree in the Lord. Look what it says. I entreat Uodia and I entreat Sintaschi. I'm not going to say those names again because I'm not sure I'm saying them correctly. So there's two ladies in the church who... Uh, he's entreating them to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul at this point has strongly encouraged the Philippian church to be united. This is a stream we see all the way through this book to stand firm, to be 
thankful. He's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Remember, he's in prison. Uh, he's had people bring him gifts from this church. That's how he's able to survive in prison. He's so thankful for them. And now he specifically mentions two women's name, which I've just read. By entreating them, he's pleading with them uh, both of their names. He's not choosing sides. That's important to see first off. Is that He's like, I entreat Uodia and I entreat Sin... That's the English language trying to speak Greek. But it's this, this idea, you've got these two ladies and he's entreating both of them. He's not choosing sides. He's saying, these two people need to work this out. However, his reference to them by name is important because this letter, remember as soon as the ink dried, was going to be handed to someone and they were going to take it back to the church. They're going to unroll it and they're going to read it to the entire church. Now imagine that's you, that's your name being read from the Apostle Paul. Look, get your stuff straight, quit arguing. Like that's the idea. We, they need to work this out. So he's calling them by name. He's identifying a major cause of the problem of disunity is addressed in numerous ways throughout the entire letter, right? So he's addressed different issues and now he's calling them by name. And all of these issues of disunity within the church swirled around these two women. And the only way for the church to have unity is for these two women to be united. Be of the same mind in the Lord, he says. We don't know why they're arguing. We don't know what they're arguing over. And it really doesn't matter. So you've got two people within the church, and they are arguing about something that's very important to them. Whatever it is, it's very important. And they're arguing about it. And, and, and what we see is it's spreading throughout the church like a cancer. It's spreading. And each, each group is, or each person is now getting a group around them. And they're getting a, hey, let's build a team here. Let's kind of let's get this. Let's, aren't I right? Aren't we right on this? Let's get together. And it's causing division. Paul has already mentioned earlier such division is caused by pride, selfish ambition, a spirit of rivalry. And so these church leaders were engaged in this power struggle, this, this idea of I want my way, whatever it is. And again, we don't know what the argument's over. These two women don't seem to be able to work it out on their own. And so I ask you also, true companion, Paul says, help these women. The division was so heated, it was spreading into the entire church that there needed to be a moderator to step in. The third party to help these women work this thing out. Now, these women were famous. They were, they were uh, well known for their service with Paul. So Paul, you know, he, he says, they've been very faithful in helping the expansion of the gospel up to this point. They, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, he says. They were believers uh, they, whose names are written in the book of life, it says. Right? So these were, these were women who were faithfully serving with Paul in the gospel ministry. They were saved. You know, it's not like it's lost and saved people, wheats and tares. No, it's, these are two saved people within the church who are arguing. And it's caused a greatly divided issue. I mean, it's, it's, it's spreading. So how do you get from argument to agreeing in the Lord? Right? So how do, you, how do we do that? How do we get from arguing to agreeing? And let's assume that you, us, let's just say we, are the true companion that Paul is talking to. He's like, I entreat you, true companion, help these women. Figure this thing out. How do we do that? 
Let's just assume that that's us, and we've got to step in. What could we do? And Paul is continuing his teaching of how the church is to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember that from chapter 1, verse 27? When you gather together, conduct yourself or live your life in such a way that's worthy of the gospel. So our agreeing in the Lord is paramount to the mission being completed. I believe that this is why doctrine is so important on the front end of church membership. Right? When you go into a church for the first time, doctrine should be paramount of what you're talking about. Do you believe that Jesus rose? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe in the Trinity? Like what are what is the beliefs? What are the doctrinal holdings of the church? And then you get into how do how do you live those things out? Lifestyle choices and all those kinds of things come into play. Those are all doctrinal issues. Beyond that, division should all but go away. So we say this is what we believe, this is how we're to live this out, and once that's established, division should become very minimal. Because beyond this, we're not going over our essential beliefs. We're not talking about did Jesus raise from the dead. We're not, we're not having those discussions. We're talking about opinions and preferences at that point. So these two ladies are not arguing over doctrinal issues. Paul has already addressed the doctrinal issues earlier in the book where he talks about the dogs and the, the evildoers and the mutilators. He's already dealt with those doctrinal issues. He's not, we're not talking about that here. These two people are disagreeing over something very specific. So I want to I give this to you. First off, Paul is not addressing the message of the church. He's addressing the method of the church. The message is, what do you believe about Jesus? What does the Bible teach? All these different things. The method is how you live that out. We're not going to disagree over the message. What we tend to disagree over is the method how we live out the Christian life. All right, so I want to give you seven principles, seven things to think about to help you as the moderator who has now stepped in, just going to help these two ladies figure this thing out. And you say, well, Drew, what, what is this? I'm not involved in any kind of conflict. I'm not, you know, like we just had Thanksgiving. And uh, we didn't have conflict around our table, but sometimes it, it has been known within Thanksgiving holidays to have some conflict within your family. Also within the church, it has been known from time to time for churches to have conflict in their assemblies. So here's, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take these seven principles and tuck them away for later. And then whenever you see this thing pop up, whatever it is, 10 years down the road, you're going to, oh, I remember that, and you're going to pull this out. And there's seven things I want you to think about in dealing with or helping someone move from arguing to agreeing in the Lord. Here's your first thing. Remember that this, which is the church, remember that this, the church, is not an us and them. It's always a just us. It's not an us and them. If you find yourself using language like those people or that group, you're on your way toward, you're on your road to division and conflict. It's a way of dividing the church into different groups and different, uh, different ways of doing things and all this. It's be careful that when you use language within the church that you're not saying a us and them, it's an us. It's only an us. We're all in this thing together, right? 
We're all in this together. We're all saved by the Lord. We're all in the same boat. We're all moving in the same direction. It's an us, not an us and them. Number two, I want you to think about, or Paul encourages the church to think about what is at stake if the two groups don't come to an agreement. What happens if we just don't agree on this? You got these two groups. They're within the church. They're arguing. What happens if we don't work it out? What happens? Paul is in prison, and he's so concerned about what's going to happen if these two people don't work this out. So he writes the letter. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a huge concern. If we don't work this out, what's going to happen? Division will continue. It's going to escalate. The church is going to slip into the two camps, whatever it might be, and then it's going to splinter, and then it's going to splinter, and it's going to splinter again. So, is one viewpoint so correct, so right, that it's worth splitting the church over? Is this issue a hill to die upon? That's, that's what you're saying. Right? You're, you've gone to this person, these two people in conflict, and you ask them, is this issue that you're arguing about worth splintering and dividing the entire church? Is this a, a hill worth dying upon? Number three, remember, believers serve and love the same Lord. Believers love and serve the same Lord. The us and them, the them, they also love Jesus too. Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord, several times throughout the book. They can be joyful in the Lord. He mentioned this earlier, be joyful in the Lord, even in times of persecution. We see this earlier in the book. And then when Epaphroditus comes back home, it says, welcome him back in the Lord. Because he had to come back early, even his, his plans had to change. And so now you've got these two lady, ladies who seek unity because they are in the Lord. They're both, you have to have unity in the Lord. We all serve the same Lord and Christianity has the same mission. It's the same mission. It's to reach the lost with the gospel. Bellevue Baptist Church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. That's what we do. That's the mission. Sharing the gospel is what it's all about. The other team across the aisle, they are also seeking to share the gospel with people. They are also seeking to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their strength, with all their mind. All the things that we do, they do too. We're all in it together. They also love the Lord. It says, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Now again, this verse is given in the context of a church conflict and trying to reconcile and, and fix this problem. So number four, rejoice. Right? Rejoice. To rejoice is to show great joy or excitement. It's an expression of joy if we are to settle the dispute between these two believers whose names are in the book of life, who love the Lord with all their heart also. Paul says to rejoice. It's only it's, it's the only one on the list that Paul says, rejoice. Just in case you didn't get it, rejoice. Right? He says it twice. It's super important. We are to rejoice specifically in the Lord. We serve a risen Lord who has called us to salvation. We are all saved. We get to be a part of the gospel expanding and seeing lives eternally changed forever. 
Rejoice in the Lord that you are a part of the most noble of life's purposes. There is nothing more noble than sharing the gospel to the world around us. Nothing, nothing more than that. We get to be a part of that. Rejoice in that. There's excitement there. There's joy there. Rejoice will keep you from focusing inward. And you're less likely to complain. Right? You rejoice. I get to be a part of what Bellevue Baptist Church is doing. I get to be a part of the gospel expanding and going out into the world around us. I get to gather together with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ every Sunday. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoicing in our salvation reminds us of how much we have been forgiven. I say, praise the Lord that I'm saved and I thank Him for my salvation because I know and I remember how much of a sinner I really am. Philippians 4.4 uh, connects um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. This is where Peter's questioning about how much or how do I respond to my brother who sinned against him, right? He's got this, this other person to sin against him. How do you respond to that? And Jesus tells the gospel story. That is, he takes Jesus to think vertical instead of horizontal. Think about the Lord and how many times he has forgiven you over against the 100 denarii offense that, your brother has, that you're going to forgive your brother of. How about the 10,000 talent offense you have against God? In other words, God's forgiven you of all these sins way more than what you need to forgive your brother about. Consider that. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in forgiveness. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a call to realign our attitude and our agenda with God's. What is God's agenda? The gospel. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to look it up. What is God's agenda? The gospel. What is our agenda? Is it the gospel or is it something else? So when we rejoice and we praise Him, it realigns those purposes together. Also, fifthly, number five, verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Again, we're talking about how are we helping these uh, believers who are disagreeing move from arguing to agreeing in the Lord. Number five, how believers deal with conflict is a witness to the power of the gospel. How you deal with conflict is a witness to the world around you of the power of the gospel. Reasonableness means a yielding up of certain real rights. Right? Yes, you have certain rights, but in, to be reasonable, you have to yield those up. In order for there to be a possibility of a partnership in the gospel, all parties must yield certain rights in order for others to hear and understand the gospel. Right? We have to let go of our preferences and, our, and all of these different things and our beliefs, not necessarily doctrinal beliefs. We're talking about other things. We let go of those things so that someone else could hear the gospel. We show the power of the gospel by displaying to the community our reasonableness to work together for important things. In other words, and this is big, and if you don't remember anything else I say, I want you to get this. The gospel is more important than my feelings. The gospel is more important than how you feel. Right? I'm going to be reasonable and put my feelings and things to the side so that someone else can hear the gospel. 
so that I could be a part of salvation for someone else. I'm going to be willing to do that. And all parties who are reasonable in doing that, we're going to all be unified in their efforts. I want to show you, um, uh, Tom Rayner is uh, someone that's a name that some of you may be familiar with. He used to work for Lifeway. He started his own business, Answers uh, for the Church, Church Answers. And so he does, he basically focuses on stats and numbers and that kind of stuff. So, you know, how many people receive Christ in this year? What's the average church? Blah, blah, blah. So he does lots of surveys and those kinds of things. And so over the years, he's accumulated, and I came across this list that he's accumulated, things that churches have argued over. There's 25. I'm not going to bore you. I'm just going to highlight a couple. All right? The church argument, the church argument and vote to decide if the clock in the worship center should be removed. That was one. There was a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Should it be black? Should it be brown? Should it be two-drawer, three-door, four-drawer? Uh, yeah. Uh, there is a dispute over whether the worship leader should have shoes on during the service. Just saying. Uh, that was one. Uh, there was a big church argument over the discovery of the church budget because we're going to talk about budget today. Church budget was off by 10 cents. The, uh, the argument went on for two business meetings. Uh, someone eventually gave a dime so that it could be settled. There's different churches reported, these are two different churches, reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. And in the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church because of that. If you leave a church because of the strongness of the coffee, that's a problem. Major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years, but they used it, though they borrowed it for something. An argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Just saying. These are, these are things, and I could go on and on and on. You say, Drew, that's just silly. I would totally agree with that. That's just silly. It's silly. Like, would you say deviled eggs or the gospel is more important? Uh, the gospel, right? Obviously, yes, I would say. So at any time when we get together, we're like, I don't know if I agree with that, ask yourself, is this on the same level of the gospel, and is it worth splitting the church over? If it's not, then it's probably a personal preference for you. You can make your preferences known. We're not a dictatorship. There's nothing. You, but at the end of the day, we're united behind the purpose of what we're doing. So let's keep going. Our reasonableness is rooted in a desire to make peace. This, this passage, I think, in James, I want you to look at is, is very important for us to understand. Why do we need to have peace? I, I do believe that there are people out there, I've, I've come across them in my 20-something years plus of ministry, that just love conflict. They just love it. It's like they are bored out of their minds, but as soon as there's some kind of a possibility for conflict, oh, the radar goes up. Hello, I'm here now. Hello, let's talk. I'm ready to go now. Let's go. Like there are people that exist. There are people like that. All right. And so look at look at James chapter three. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The main word there I want you to focus on is disorder. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, reasonableness, right? We're open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Like all of that is what's happening in a person that's seeking to truly follow the Lord. This 18 is what I want to highlight, though. All right? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How is it that the gospel gets out? It's when the church is unified and they're at peace. A, a harvest of righteousness develops during that time. When you, have, when you have unified and you have peace, the gospel goes out, people's lives are changed, uh, families are restored, all these things that happen when you encounter Jesus Christ. When there's conflict within the church, that stops. That harvest of righteousness goes away. Because you don't have the gospel going out. You don't have the, the issue becomes whatever, that becomes it. That's what we're focused on, the issue. Not Jesus, not the mission, not the gospel, not people being saved. That's, we're not even thinking about those things. We're focused on whatever that issue is. So seek to make peace. Why? So that there can be a harvest of righteousness. A harvest Look at what he says. The Lord, he says next in Philippians chapter 4, second part of 5. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So number six on our list is remember that the Lord is at hand. Remember the Lord is at hand. We don't have to settle this issue alone. We don't need to be anxious about this conflict or division. Uh, instead, God is here to help, work, to help us work through it. We prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We go to the Lord in prayer. We seek wisdom. The Lord will hear our request and he will give us an answer. Paul adds that we should pray in times of conflict with thanksgiving. Paul even opens... Uh, this book by saying how thankful he is for the church right he knows the church is in, is in conflict he knows about these two ladies and but he opens the book by saying I am so thankful for you I thank my God in my remembrance of you so where there's a lack of Thanksgiving right so we have we have issues between two parties we have to help navigate we're trying to help them go from arguing to agreeing when, they, when we lack thanksgiving, our hearts tend toward idolatry. When we're not thankful, our hearts tend toward idolatry. Look at Romans chapter 1, chapter 21. This is, again, these are people that although they knew God, and they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but, but they became futile in their thinking and their, fu their foolish hearts were darkened. They know who God is, they know what God has done, but they, stop, they don't thank Him for who He is, and in fact, they take the, the God position and they put themselves in that position, and their hearts become darkened. 
And because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they worshiped and served the creature, the cre the creature rather than the creator. So instead of God and the gospel, the loss, the kingdom, the mission, the, being the center of their thoughts, we substitute what we think about this issue in its place. And our feelings on the topic become the idol. right? So we take God out of the picture, we put the topic or issue in the, in the main thing, and then we focus on that, and we bow down to that, and that becomes the focus. Whatever the issue is becomes the idol. That becomes the focus. We forget God, mission, gospel, we forget all of that. We just focus on the issue. We think on the same issue all the time. Also, without thanksgiving for all that God has done, this is one point of disagreement, becomes the whole world. It becomes the entire focus. Thankfulness keeps our minds aware that there are things going on in other places in the world, like other places within the church. There's other things going on other than what that issue might be and what we think about that issue. So without thanksgiving, prayer becomes just merely a way of complaining to God about all the bad things. Right, so we, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we just pray. Right? We just our laundry list of things that we think is wrong that we want God to fix. But we're not thankful for anything. All the other things that God has done. If you will be thankful, it changes how you think. That's what Romans tells us. That will lead to, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You give the issue to the Lord. Lord, this is your church. These are your people. I am here to serve. I will do whatever it is that you want me to do. And you mean it. Right? You say, there's these two parties. They're agree I may even be part of the party. I don't even know. But Lord, at the end of the day, this is your church. These are your people. I'm here to serve. I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. Lord, just point, just point the way and mean it. Problem is, is we like to add a little caveat. Lord, these are your people. Lord, you do what you want. I'm here to serve. Just do what I want, and if you don't, then I'm just going to leave. Right? We, add, we like to add that little last part. I don't like, what's, I don't like that, and so I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm out. That's not what Paul says to do. In our hearts, when God moves to the center, and we give everything to him, God's peace stands guard over our hearts and minds. Earlier in the passage, where it has been in the Lord, this is important, I think, to this passage, too. Paul moves from in the Lord, right? I'm thankful in the Lord for you. He talks about Epaphroditus, receive him back in the Lord. And now he moves to in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26 echoes this same idea. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. When we are all one, there is no longer an us in them. It's just an us. Right? We are all a just in us. We are all people that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are all people who are seeking to serve the Lord with all that we have, and we remember and are thankful for what God has done. Just as those who love Jesus have put their faith in him, so have we. Uh, we are all seeking to serve the same Jesus. And in our relationship with Jesus, we have all experienced forgiveness. 
our blindness to our sin and our unwillingness to forgive reveals more than a failure to think of God. They reveal our failure to remember our offenses against God. When you stop being thankful and all those things, you forget how much we have been forgiven of. It's amazing grace. He says, do not be anxious about anything. This is, again, in the context of church conflict. Like, do not be anxious about anything. There are things in li- church life that may lead us to be anxious. Right? So, I could give you a whole list of things that potentially could make you anxious about the church. Right? I'll use one, that it's budget season. All right? And so budget season means that we sit down and we say, this is how much money's coming in, this is how much the expenses are. Sometimes they don't always match. Just like your household, right? This is how much I pay for gas, this is how much I pay for groceries, this is how much I pay for blah, 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 this is how much money I have coming in. They may not always add up. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. Right? Uh, Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. This is Jesus talking. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God knows. Look, he says, Father knows. Our heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to, to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Church conflict develops where there's a sense of being anxious, right? Anxious. There's a problem. We've got to fix the problem, right? There's an issue. We've got to fix the issue. And anxiety begins to develop. And then parties begin to, well, we should fix it this way. No, we should fix it this way. Blah, 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 blah. And then then it just escalates. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is a doubt that God will come through with an answer. If you are anxious, that means that you're not trusting that God is going to provide the solution. We just say, God, this is your church. These are your people. I'm here to serve. I'm going to do whatever it is you call me to do. Lord, this is your church. These are your people. This is your facility. Everything, this is yours. We give it to you. We need you to fix this problem. We strive toward Jesus, right? Paul says that he forgets what lays behind, but he strives toward the Lord. He pushes, he strains forward. We serve with all of our hearts, and then we trust that the Lord's going to take care of it. So here's the thing. When it says, uh, your Heavenly Father knows what you need, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we say, okay, what do we do as a church? We seek Christ. We seek righteousness we seek to share the gospel we seek to keep the mission we do that the Lord's going to take care of the details seven choose what you will think about finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things I want you to underline that. Think about these things. 
what, what, have you, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul gives six things to consider for the Christian life, that without these, there's no ideal can exist, without excellence, without being all these things. Honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praise, praiseworthy. He says, think on these things. You can choose to focus on the strongness of the coffee at the fellowship meal. You could choose to focus on that. Right? You could choose to focus on something that may have changed on the stage and that bugs the mess out of you. You could choose to focus on that. Right? You could choose of how a decision may have been made that your opinion was not consulted. You could choose to focus on that. But we are responsible for our thoughts and can hold them to a high and holy ideal. You can choose what you focus on. Paul says to focus on things that are honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on those things. Or you could choose to dwell on things that cause division and at the end of the day will keep you like those deer mentioned earlier all bound up in conflict it's our thoughts at the end of the day it's what you choose to think about it's what you choose to focus on I would encourage us to focus on the gospel to focus on how we could be unified to reach the world for Jesus Christ everything else guys really at the end of the day who cares who cares it's not important and if you can let it go let it go if you can't let it go, let your opinion be known, and we'll work to try to see how we can be unified on it. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to all be letting it go. That's how we're going to move and from Paul. That's how you're going to move from arguing to agreeing. There was a Spanish church, or there's a Spanish story of a father and his son who had gotten in an argument. And... They, the, the son left. It was so heated, the son left. Uh, the dad was really upset. He, he kind of came to his senses after a little bit, and he's like, I need to make this right with my son. And he traveled all over the town. He couldn't find his son. He looked and he looked and he looked. He couldn't find him. And so he put an ad in the paper. This was in Madrid. And I, here's the quote. It says this. Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The ad ran. That day, 800 men named Paco showed up because they thought that their dad had put an ad in the paper wanting to be reconciled. 800 men wanted to be reconciled there's that many there were that many men out into the city not one named Paco I mean wow but then had conflict with their dad I think there's a whole world of people out there who want to be reconciled to their father they just don't know how they need somebody to share the gospel with them they need somebody to come along and love them and say look it could be all made right we can make this right but there's only one way that that happens. It's when the church shares the gospel to the community. And there's only one way that happens is when we're unified all behind that same goal. Nothing else matters. It's just the gospel.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul. I thank you for his heart, for this church in Philippi. Lord, his heart was that these two women needed to be reconciled because of the importance of the gospel. Lord, I pray that uh, we will help and understand these principles, that we'll be able to take them and apply them to our lives. And Lord, we pray that, that there may always be peace at Bellevue Baptist so that we may always understand the purpose and the mission is to go forth with the gospel. Lord, there's, a, there's several words that, are, that we've gone over, like reasonableness, unity, Lord, uh, uh, reason, all of these things, Lord, uh, we pray for those things in our lives so that when those times, potential times of discussion come, that we will understand the importance of why we're here. And Lord, if we're getting in discussions about coffee and file cabinets, Lord, help us understand why those things are so less important than the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'll be with our time of invitation. There may be someone in here who's never prayed to receive you. They've never given their heart to you. They realize that they're like Paco. They're separated from their heavenly father. They need to be forgiven. They, they just don't know how. And here's, here's how. Is that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He did that so that he could be a substitute for you, so that his righteousness can be substituted with our sin, your sin. And he did that by dying on a cross for you. And so you believe that Jesus Christ died so that you could be forgiven. You believe the things of Scripture. Also, a, a person needs to be uh, willing to confess their sin before the Lord. You say, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I would like to receive and pray and ask Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. And you could say a prayer something like this. Dear Jesus, I admit you can just say it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud, but just this is a prayer between you and the Lord. Dear Lord, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. I know I have done things that displease you, that go against your word. And I understand because of that, I'm separated from you. I believe that you came and died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven of my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I confess him now as my Lord and my Savior. If you said a prayer something like that, or even if you're just like, Drew, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can we just talk? If you'll just let me know, I'd love to sit down and talk with you about the gospel because honestly, there's nothing more important than that. Lord, also, there's church people in this room that have been church people for decades. And they probably, at some point in their lives, have gone through a church conflict. Lord, I pray that you will help us to find forgiveness in all things. That we will be able to re be united behind reaching others for Christ. And Lord, I thank you for this book of Philippians that we've been able to take and apply to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace.